Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. where he talked about a message that he was giving, and he called it kind of his gospel. And, you know, you might find that a little bit sacrilegious, but what, what, it, what he was saying was that, um, that this was the gospel to him. This was the piece of the gospel that touched him the most. And uh, today for you guys, I kind of wanted to grab onto the, the corner of the gospel that has most transformed my life, that has most impacted me, and just kind of shine a light on that. Does that sound good? Awesome. So a little, little bit about my backstory. Um, I um, so I was uh, I was born into a Christian family. My parents got saved. Uh, they actually met someone in their Lamaze class when they were having me. Um, so I like to think that I led them to the Lord. Um, <laughs> and um, they met someone in their Lamaze class that invited them to church, and they got they got saved shortly after that. And so I um, I grew up in a Christian home. Grew up in a Christian family. I, I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was three years old when we were at the post office. Because, you know, what else are you going to do when you're waiting around? <laughs> and my, uh, my parents uh, shortly became, my, my dad went to Bible college when I was uh, four years old. And my parents quickly became pastors and missionaries. And so church was a huge part of my life from the very, very beginning. I was going to church every week, going to Sunday school every week. And it was a core part of who I was. And so from a very early age, I became very familiar with the, all the Bible stories and the story of Jesus and the gospel. And I, <clears throat> it's interesting, sometimes, now I, I just want to get a little bit of a feel for the room. How many of you grew up more or less in, in church? Just throw a hand up real quick. Cool. All right. Fair majority. Just out of curiosity, how many of you did not very much grow up in the church? Some of you didn't raise your hands at all. I'm curious what that option was. <laughs> Maybe you can tell me afterwards. <laughs> uh, um, so I sometimes, and maybe this your experience was different from mine, but when you when you when you when you grow up in the church, you hear the, the Bible stories, you hear certain verses so frequently, so often, all the time that sometimes they can they can lose some of their impact. You ever experienced that before? You know, you just hear it so many times. You hear the story of the crossing the Red Sea. You hear the story of creation. You hear the story of Jesus and the, the miracles that happen. You hear them sometimes so much that it just kind of becomes a story. You already know the end as soon as it starts coming, as soon as, as soon as you hear the beginning of it. You know what I mean? And because of that, and just because of my, my experience there, I, I, the, the, the gospel, the Bible, never really seemed that real to me. And it, I don't mean that it seemed fake. I don't mean it seemed like it wasn't true. It just didn't really mean very much in my life. It's just what we did. You know, we went to church, and we went, and I knew that we were missionaries, but that's just what we did. It didn't necessarily mean anything tangible that I could hold on to, that I could really even explain to someone else. I could quote what had been told to me, but I couldn't say what it meant to me. Does that make sense? And so if you were to ask me when I was three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, probably all the way up to 10 or 11 years old, what, what the gospel was, I would probably say a something more or less like this. You know, God created man, he created Adam and Eve, and he put them in this perfect garden, and they made a mistake, and they ate the wrong fruit, and that was bad. And 
you know, I didn't really understand that because I'm like, oh, you know, my mom is usually happy when I eat fruit. Um, <laughs> but I guess this was bad fruit, and he's, that was, apparently that was bad enough that God had to separate himself from man. And then he sent his son, Jesus, to die to, to fix our problem and, and redeem himself to us. That was basically the gospel as I knew it, right? Well, not all that's true. But again, even that story, as powerful as it is, didn't really mean anything to me. I, I feel that I got saved. I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was three years old. But I don't feel that I truly and fully inherited my salvation until I was 12 years old. I want to be clear here. I, I think that I prayed the prayer. I think my name is written down in the book. I think that I was going to heaven and all of that. But I did not experience the benefit, the reality, the relationship of salvation. I did not inherit the reality of my salvation until I was 12 years old. And I want to take you just, I want to tell you a little bit about how that happened for me, because I believe that the way that we inherit our salvation, that we receive the fullness of our salvation, I think it works completely differently from every single one of us. I think that there is a completely unique, specialized, and personalized revelation for every single person on this planet. I think it is different for every person that exists now and ever has existed and ever will exist, because our God is that good and that big. There is a specific moment, there's a specific revelation, a specific reality of who God is that invites you into the fullness of everything that he is. And so for me, that happened when I was 12 years old, and we started going to a church that was really active in training people in the gifts of the prophetic. And, you know, I... I anytime I had, you know, my, my best picture of you know, God talking was when I would watch, like, Christian cartoons, and, you know, they'd have Jesus getting baptized, and then there would be this deep, like, Sean Connery-esque voice coming over through the clouds, you know, saying, this is my Sean, in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, that's all I can do. I can't do anything else. I can just do that. <laughs> um, you know, it's this deep, uh, impersonal thing, and it's just this booming voice that shows up, you know, through the clouds. But when we went to this place, I, realized, I discovered that, oh, you know, God can talk many numbers of ways. He doesn't just talk in special moments. No, he's speaking to us constantly. He's releasing truth to us constantly. His thoughts for us outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore, and every single one of those are being blasted, released to us all of the time. And then he doesn't just speak in a voice through the clouds, but he could also speak through the, through the construct of your imagination. He could show you a picture in your mind's eye. He could give you an impression. He could give you a single sentence. He could speak to you in a still, small voice. He could make a scripture just come to life in a unique and profound way. And for me, experiencing that, getting to practice that with, with, my, with my friends, with my, my parents learning to hear God's voice for myself. It was the first time that this, this entire thing that we had dedicated our life to meant something specifically to me. And again, for me, it was, oh, God wants to actually talk to me 
and let me actually talk to him. He doesn't want me just to say my prayers at night. He doesn't want me just to pray because it's what you're supposed to do. He actually wants to talk to me. And this thing happened to me where after I had this moment, this, this wasn't just a moment. It, it, the transition kind of happened in a moment, but the unpacking, the unfolding of the implications, all of the truths that came out of that one truth that God wanted to talk to me happened over a long period of time. And after this started happening, I went back to some scriptures that I hadn't visited in a very long time just because I had heard them so many times. I had heard the stories so many times, and I had heard these verses quoted so many times that I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed to. I wasn't, you know, I'm like, oh, I, I know that story like the back of my hand. Why would I go back and read it again? But in this new experience, from this new perspective, in this new season of my relationship with God, when I did go back to these I saw something that I didn't see there before. And so I wanted to just take you guys there for one minute. Does that sound okay? All right, so if you would, just get your Bible out, whether it be digital or physical, and turn with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to go to chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start in, a, in verse 8, but I just going to kind of want to set the backdrop here. This is right in the middle of the, the fall of man. You know, God has created the earth. He's created the Garden of Eden. He's created man. They have eaten the forbidden fruit. They have eaten the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And, you know, original sin has just happened. Now, I want to set the stage for just a moment because I, I remember my most vivid memory of this story, the way that I always, even to this day, uh, tend to see this story for the first time in my mind when I think about it. It goes back to this uh, Christian cartoon that I watched when I was a kid that we had on video because um, I lived in post-communist Russia and it was the only thing to watch. Um, <laughs> so I remember it was this, you know, it showed the creation, it showed the garden, it showed Adam and Eve eating, uh, eating the fruit. And then, you know, uh, the whole time that the serpent shows up, there's this, you know, scary violin music playing and, you know, Eve eats the fruit, and there's a little peek to the music, and then Adam comes and eats the fruit, and then, boom, the sky gets dark, and there's a, there's thunder, and then the cloud gets all dark, and they look around and run away, and it gets all windy, and then, you know, God's voice comes on, Adam, where are you? And it's this big, scary, you know, oh, no, you ruined everything thing. But that's not really how it happened in the Bible. So let's, let's look here real quick at Genesis 3. So all that has just happened. They've eaten the fruit. They've realized that they're naked. They've just sewn themselves some clothes. And what is God's first response to original sin? What is the first thing that God does? It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I'm going to tell you a quick secret. When I came back to this verse after having read it so many years ago and, and in this new lens, I realized something. God probably knew what they did. He knows everything, so he probably knew that. So this is his response with the knowledge of what has happened. God's first response to original sin 
was let me come close and go for a walk with you. Let me come close and go, with a, go on a walk with you. It is man who hid from God, not God who hid from man. <laughs> now, yes, there was a, something had happened, and there had to be a boundary. There had been a violation of trust, and that required a boundary, and that required a change of relationship. But again, God's first response was, let me come close and walk with you. Let's walk and talk about this. Now, with that in mind, we're going to go forward. And I want you to, if you don't mind, play just a little bit of a biblical twister with me. Keep one finger here, and we're going to turn to the book of Matthew. But I want you to keep one finger back there in Genesis, if you don't mind. We're only doing two verses, so don't worry. You don't need extra fingers. So we're going to Matthew 27. We're going to start in verse 50. So this, this is right in the middle of the, the moment that Jesus died. He's on the cross. He's already lived his life. He is coming to, to, to one, of the, one of the ultimate moments of his life, one of the crescendos of his life. And... As we know, after, after the fall, there was this time where as God started to communicate with people, as, you know, there's this time where uh, Moses is meeting with God face to face, and they're, they're negotiating, they're talking about the way that God relates to man, the way that man relates to God. And as we know, this, this system of sacrifice, this system of almost a, a holding pattern of, of sacrifice, of temporary restoration was established. And these kind of restrictions and boundaries were put, on, put upon the, the way that God's presence moved with them. They were instructed to build a tabernacle. They were instructed to build the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be the place that God's presence rested. And they put the Ark of the Covenant in the deepest part of the tabernacle and then eventually the temple. And they called it the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. And it was this very, very small place in the middle of the temple and there was a thick veil, very thick. I understand it was like, uh, like almost a foot thick, this veil, because they didn't want it to open, which you'll see why in just a moment, um, if you don't already know. But it was this very thick veil, and it was uh, between the most holy place and the rest of the temple because God's presence was there. And so it was, uh, his presence was there so thick that the understanding was that if someone would just waltz in there, they would actually drop dead. And only, as I understand it, one priest would go into that place once a year. And even then, they had to create systems to be careful. They put pomegranates around the bottom of his robes with like a rattle-type thing on the inside so they could hear that priest moving around and hear if he was not moving around. They, in fact, uh, very smartly, they tied a rope around his ankle so that they could drag him out if he... Uh, Drop down, because otherwise it just starts a dog pile. People just keep going in. <laughs> it's smart. You have the rope. You just, you know, pull them out. And so it's, there's this separation. There's this danger associated with how holy God is and how, how tainted, how unworthy mankind is. This picture is set up. But there is this system for how to access this. 
And so we flash forward here to, to Jesus on the cross, to the ultimate sacrifice, to the sacrifice of the, 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 the sacrifice of all sacrifices, the sacrifice that would atone for every sin that ever had been and every sin that would be. And we come here to the moment of Jesus' death. Matthew 27, verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. That curtain they were talking about was that veil that was between the most holy place and the rest of the temple. And the moment that Jesus died, it was torn in two. The place where God's presence rested, where it rested so thickly that it was dangerous to go in there. The moment that Jesus died, it's ripped open, which to me speaks, draws the picture of a God who is pressing himself against the division between himself and his people, waiting for the moment that he can burst forth and return to be present with his people once again. I mean, you know, even in my, like, theology, like, he didn't even wait till Jesus rose from the dead. He, like, it right away, like, before the whole thing was complete, he's like, good enough, boom, we're doing that. <laughs> That's, that is done enough for me. <laughs> you know, the moment, it, it says it right there, the moment that Jesus died, boom, it's open. This huge, thick curtain rips open. I would, I, the first DVD I'm getting when I get to heaven is whatever priest was on duty that day who saw that thing rip and I was like, no, <laughs> not my fault. <laughs> uh, that guy probably gets a special seat in heaven. <laughs> uh, but for me, these two scriptures together, and I, I want you to just take a moment here. I, I ask you to keep your thumb there for a reason. I want you to just take a moment and just, if you would, indulge me, please. Just hold that chunk of scripture right there and lift it up and look at that for a second. <laughs> if you have a phone, you're going to have to be creative, you know. <laughs> Pinch and swipe, I don't know. <laughs> You can, you can jump around in the middle here, and depending on your view, depending on your per perspective, depending on what you believe, you can see a lot of condemnation, you can see judgment, you can see separation, you can see uh, a God who is not kind, a God who is bothered by his people, who is annoyed by his people, who is disgruntled at his people. But if you look at these two verses, and there's, there's many more. These are just my two favorites. If you take these verses where I believe we see some of the clearest snapshots of God's eternal intention, it changes the way you see the rest of it. <laughs> it changes the context. It changes it into a true and honest love story from beginning to end. An intentional purposeful pursuit, one that would not be belittled by making light of the division that happened, 
but would also overcome that division fully. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know what it looks like for you individually to inherit your salvation. I don't want that to be something that we com compare necessarily. I think it's a process. I think it's something that gets opened up more and more and more as we discover just how massive, just how wide, just how deep the victory that Jesus won on the cross was and how much that means for us on a daily basis. But I do know that if we miss the intention of our Father. We can misunderstand not only the, the word that he authored, but also our circumstances, our situations, and the people around us. We need to have a redeemed view. We need to recognize the internal intention of our Father and let it inform the way that we see everything else because otherwise we will present a less magnificent gospel. <laughs> And even the gospel, when it is presented to us truly, fully, and powerfully, will be filtered through dirt and grime, so much so that all of the true power is lost. Does that make sense? All right, we're going we're gonna, to, I, I want to end here in a little bit of a different style. So um, if I could have the, the ministry team come on up and line up over here in your usual place, just so you know. I um I just want to pray for you guys today. And there's really there's really two things that I want to pray for. Now again, if you're sick in your body, and especially if you are, are dealing with cancer in any way, just as Steve mentioned earlier, we definitely want you to come up for that. If you're just wanting a fresh touch from the Lord, we want you to come up from that. And if you've if you've never met Jesus, if you've never given your life to Him, if you if you have not received Him. We would love to invite you into that relationship. And Luis over here is, is one of our Freedom Team uh, members, and he's, he's ready to help, you, help walk you through if you want to receive Jesus for the first time. But for the rest of you, I am... Um, actually, if you would, just, just uh, stand up, everybody, with me. Um, we are all in a lifelong unfolding revelation of the salvation that we have received. <laughs> we are all in an unfolding revelation of the depth of relationship that God is seeking with us. And I don't want a single person in here to miss out on the full benefit, the full measure, the full inheritance of that redemption just because we haven't seen it or recognized it in front of us. And so if you would like for us to pray for you to receive the inheritance of your salvation, the experiential power, the experiential relationship, the experiential benefit of the commitment that you made, I would love to pray with you guys. First, I'm just going to pray for you and then invite those of you who feel, feel led to come up. So if you would, just, just close your eyes and put a hand over your heart. Lord, right now, we just ask you to lead us into the fullness of the salvation that you made for us, into the fullness of every benefit, every revelation, every destiny that you have called us to, that we would let nothing hinder our view of your magnificent gospel, your magnificent truth, that we would not 
be satisfied with this person's gospel or this person's gospel or this person's gospel, although those will be of tremendous blessing to us, that we would hunger for our gospel, the corner of your goodness that is most most acquainted to our heart, that is most familiar to us, because through that, through that door, through that entryway, we can be invited into a relationship that's beyond belief, that's beyond transformative. That Through that door, we can be led into the full benefit of our salvation for ourselves and for the people around us. We can see Jesus get his full reward in every life that touches ours. And Lord, lead us on how to receive that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.